Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Honor and I have a fantastic guest today in our virtual studio, dialing in from Singapore and recording from Singapore. We have Debbie Goldingham, who is currently the regional head of marketing for APAC at the Page Group. Welcome, Debbie. Welcome. It's great to be here. Just a quick introduction to Debbie, to your background. As I mentioned, you're at the moment with Page Group in Singapore. But before this, you spent quite a bit of time with Amazon Web Services across APAC. Um, as well as really spent quite a bit of time in the financial services industry, different commercial product and marketing roles, so over 16 years at MasterCard, uh, quite a while with Visa and American Express. So uh, a lot of experience from commercial product and marketing. And also you were named as top 50 CMOs in Asia back in 2015. So uh, very fortunate to have you with us here today. Thank you. One thing that I picked up, I mean, you and I have actually, fun fact, we've all three of us have worked together in various shapes and forms. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Onur and, and Debbie, you've obviously worked in the same company at MasterCard in the APAC uh, marketing yeah. teams. And um, I worked on the digital marketing agency side with both of you. So interesting to hear your perspectives today. And based on both our conversations, as well as something I picked up from your LinkedIn profile is you really believe in executing disruptive strategies. So on one side, strategies that really create some kind of change, deliver innovation and business growth, but also the other side of the spectrum, which is staying true to your brand DNA. Mm. Can we get our discussion started just by kind of talking about those two things? On one side, the strategy bit, uh, yep. innovation, the other side, brand DNA and the long-term thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know what? It's such a great topic and it's one that I'm actually really passionate about. I learned from the best at MasterCard in terms of how to really build an authentic brand. Amazon was let's just execute. And at Page, where I am now, I get to bring the best of both of them. And I think disruption is one of the things. But if you look across all three industries, one of the questions that I'll talk through is why have I gone from MasterCard and payments and fintech to cloud technology at AWS? And now I'm in recruitment. And one of the things that's literally threaded through all three of them is changing lives. MasterCard was priceless and how did we change lives? And that was the brand DNA. At Amazon, it was customer centric, customer first. There is no such thing as competition and you will do everything to stay true to that customer. And at Page, it's about changing the life. And what does that mean when somebody gets a job? If somebody can put food on the table and put a roof over their head, they're changing lives. But all three of them, have essentially the same brand proposition, but how do you how do you execute that which is native to your business model? And that's where people have to stay true to your brand within your own runway. But how do you disrupt? You disrupt by looking at the blind spots. And that's what I did at MasterCard. It was, we were creating crisis moments and crisis experiences for people, which was great but we had to disrupt to stay ahead. And how do you disrupt that in a world where there is a commodity and at the end of the day, people have to pay for everything. So I think the biggest challenge is, is know who you are, number one, and know what your customer wants and then make sure you're out of the gates faster than anybody else to disrupt what everybody expects and deliver what the customer wants. You know, of course, MasterCard, if we take that as an example, the Prices brand has existed for a long time. Arguably, there's a lot of marketers in the company who, who know exactly what the company stands for, long-standing history, a yep. lot of executions to draw from the, the classic Prices ads and all that. 
but let's assume that we are marketing for a company that doesn't have all that heritage. Yep. Going back to your point number one, know who you are. How does a company that's in early stages really know who they are? What are the steps that you would take as a marketer to really understand who we are as a business if there isn't that sort of heritage and history behind them yet? A really good place to start is how did you get out of bed and figure out that there was a space in the market for you? You know, where did Uber come from? You know, and what was the the market need that created disruption? I mean, you just need to look at a world crisis to know that the world's going to be full of disruptors. And it was out of the 2008 crisis that we saw the disruptors. When the global financial crisis struck, that was when people realised that there was an Airbnb. That's where the Ubers of the world really started to come into their own. You look at COVID-19, there's a lot of downtime for people in the last eight months that have either been forlorn or just went, you know what, there's got to be a better way of doing things. And it's starting at that point, which was a customer need that you were able to solve for. And if that was an app that all of a sudden got somebody COVID tested faster than the rest of the world could do it, and you sold that to the hospital, guess what? You got somebody tested faster than anywhere else in the world. And you know what? That's your proposition. You're faster than anybody else at creating health solutions. Stay true to that. And if you can do that, everything you execute moving forward has to stay true to that. You're going to get somebody healthcare faster than anywhere else or access to information around healthcare. And I think that's where you started from that day when you woke up and you got out of bed and you went, I can make a difference. I'm going to do this. Or that first check where somebody says, I'm going to buy that app because I like what you're doing to do X. Do it. Stay true to that and don't deviate. So it sounds to me almost like you start with solving a real customer problem better than everybody else in the market, which is almost talking about the product itself. You have a much better product than anybody else. And at that point, it almost sounds like marketing is or brand essentially is communicating that value proposition. In terms of it is the essence of your brand. And, you know, COVID has accelerated the fact that if you're not demonstrating your brand purpose in everything you do, the way you act, the way your website looks, that is your brand purpose in action. If you're going to change lives, I'll use a COVID example, you're not going to launch an app in a web environment and not mobile. No because that is the oxymoron of your brand purpose. You've got to know who you're talking to and you've got to know that you've got to make sure that you enable it for them. So your brand is demonstrated through every touch point and every customer element that you're going to have them come in contact with you. That's the purpose of your brand. And that's how people stay true to brands because products will change. That's exactly where perhaps some of the younger companies might have a bit of an advantage. Yep. Right? Because Absolutely. you're building your product every day. Yep. You're building your brand purpose into the yep. touch points and the experiences you build every day. You can move faster. I found it interesting because you spoke about three th different things, right? Know who you are, know what your customers want or need, and then execute faster than anyone. Absolutely. And that's perhaps the area where a lot of younger companies have really an advantage of being able to move uh, potentially faster than anybody. Absolutely. And you know what, that's what my experience at Amazon taught me. And with AWS, you know, that's not one company. That's just a world full of startups. And they create an environment where you've got a great idea. It starts with the customer. It starts with the customer PR. You write your press release first. So before you do anything, write your press release and tell the world what's in it for the customer, number one. 
and what you're going to tell them and then work backwards. So before you start any new idea, write that press release. And then that's what Amazon did. And that's how people got funded. And that's how projects got funded. And it was, if you've got an idea that'll change the world, do it. And next minute, you've got a startup of four people working within Amazon. And that's what it is. It's a world of startups. So you've got to be nimble, you've got to be quick, and you've got the agility that the big guys don't. This is such a fantastic suggestion. I actually tried doing this on a couple of projects, and I'm still trying to practice writing press releases. It's so difficult. When you first hear it, it sounds like, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to sit down and write it. But once you actually get to it, it you realize how difficult it is to write a really good press release that people are going to care about and work backwards from there. What's the headline? Exactly. I want to ask a little bit about this moving fast culture that exists in startups and also bigger startups like Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably not a big surprise that companies, as they grow and as they get bigger, bureaucracy sets in and they start to lose some of that fire in the belly and they get a little bit more lethargic. As a marketer or a product person, what are some of the first signs that you see that your company is losing that edge and maybe straying a little bit from the brand that made them so powerful in the first place? How do you counter that as a marketer or a product person in one of these organizations? It's a great question. And the one thing that kills it is the approval process. And this is where if you can be nimble, number one, Every employee has to drink the Kool-Aid and know what your brand purpose is because, and again, I use the analogy of Amazon in that scenario is that the number one brand at Amazon is the customer and everyone is customer obsessed. If everyone is customer obsessed, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. The competition doesn't exist in the form of you're just trying to solve a customer need. And so long as you do that, you're going to win. So the question I raise as well is people become so overcomplicate the process and it's like does it tick this box does it tick this box well if you have to go through that you've lost the spirit of who you are as an organization and I think it's when companies become bigger there isn't either that catch-all at the start of the process that says you know what yes the customer's in this example and does it meet our brand and then the rest just happens and that's why starting with that press release you can put trust and agility into your team because everybody knows from the get-go what the press release is going to look like. It doesn't start as organizations have got bigger, and I've worked in these ones or with these, where it starts with an individual's idea who then gets taken to senior management and says, hey, I've got a great idea that we can launch this product because it's going to drive this amount of revenue for the business and only the P&L is what people's got you know, stars in their eyes. So the, the board sees the P&L and signs off on the P&L. That is the moment companies go wrong. That is the moment everything starts to fail because it didn't start with a customer. It signed off on a business case. Mm -hmm. And companies need to stop looking at it from a pure numbers perspective. And let's be honest, we're not the benevolent society. But the minute you start signing off on business cases, you're starting to fail and you lose that agility because you are literally hijacked by the numbers. And this is a fantastic point. I think there are two issues with this. The first one is incentivizes people who are simply better at putting together financial plans or putting together better presentations to 
go to the top rather than great ideas that may yeah. not immediately be visible. And yeah. the second problem is that, like you said, it loses the focus on the customer and then shifts the priorities yeah. towards uh, financial yeah. incentives. The other important thing is, and I keep going back to remember how you got where you are. It was a leap of faith. You had a customer solution. You had data of some point to pick up mm -hmm. and know that you were in the right path. And it didn't matter if you failed. And that's the thing. Don't be scared to fail fast and move on. If you keep looking at those 12-month or 24-month projections on what the board has signed off on or senior management has signed on based on financials, you will lose yourself along the way and you will lose that vision along the way. The other thing we spoke about with our guest, Ben Hartman, last week was creativity really is one of the last remaining competitive advantages. Yeah. And I just don't know how many cases there are where the creative ideas that would have driven 10x, 100x commercial outcomes would have started with a business plan. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just don't think they would, right? They start from completely from somewhere else yeah. and then the outcomes follow. So I find that really fascinating oh. how often we actually just start with the PL and start doing the math backwards and then expect the idea to be amazing. And you know what? That's where it starts to get unwell. And that's where big companies lose that agility because they're so wedded to the numbers. They're not wedded to the customer and the creativity that goes behind it. And that's where disruption fails. Yeah, absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit then. One of my favorite topics that you and I have spoken about a lot over the years is really this notion of commercial strategy and marketing planning, right? So marrying creativity and commercial strategy. One of the, my favorite examples of this is when we work together on a strategy for Indonesia at MasterCard. Yeah. And I'd love for you to kind of talk through some of the, the thinking there because, you know, you had essentially, to, just to set the scene, right? You had a pretty simple and straightforward business target. Drive usage of certain cards in a certain market. But to achieve that, you essentially had an unlimited amount of uh, places to go. Mm. So you could do TV campaigns, you could buy a Facebook, you know, ad campaign, you could do almost mm -hmm. anything. But I, I just love how you approached that problem back then. I'd, I'd love for our listeners to kind of learn from your thought process on how that strategy came to life. Yeah, sure. So it was priceless. We basically, during my time at MasterCard, it was get as many people to use their card overseas, which would be a fabulous problem to have today as well. But I think the challenge was, MasterCard had traditionally played in the above-the-line space, be it print, out-of-home, and then more and more digital. And I will say above-the-line and digital. And really had played in that space of mass marketing. And that was fine. It, it did a fabulous job of getting them to where they are today. When we started to put a lot more ROI around our campaigns and a lot more of the business case was needed to justify incremental investment in certain marketing activities, it became more and more important for marketing to be data-driven. And one of the things that I made the decision of was, how do you take a mass marketing organization and make it so targeted and precise and still get the buy-in of senior management? And one of the things that I did, given that it is a large organization, is I looked at the data. And I said, if we're going to drive people overseas, people, consumers have a behavior. They don't just get out of bed and say, I'm going overseas. And the first thing I'm going to do is take a credit card. 
they may take various other forms of cash, they may take various other forms of payment. So what we needed to do is we took baby steps, we looked at the data and we looked at where there was low hanging fruit that we could build confidence in consumers that MasterCard was the best card to travel with overseas. The most frequent travel destination outside of Singapore was Bali. Now, rather than boiling the ocean and putting mass advertising saying we were the best card to travel in and all of our advertising, I decided to prove it and disrupt the way we marketed. And basically that looked at, we're not gonna be in every market. We're not gonna advertise in every market. We're going to put our money into a position where we could actually show where we could make a difference, where consumers wanted us. And that was Singapore to Bali, with offers and experiences in that corridor where we could test and learn and test our marketing activity was actually working. So we built a partnership network in Singapore so people could book and travel and knew how to get there. And we booked content in the form of hotels, restaurants and experiences on the ground in Bali. Now that required a partnership model that extended outside the MasterCard network. So we worked with a number of partners to do that. The second thing was we were then outsourcing our brand proposition and relying on those partners on delivering what we were setting ourselves up to prove we could deliver. So we baked in what was in our card product as well, which was emergency insurance and emergency coverage and a number of other things that we worked with our existing insurance providers, which were pretty standard product features at the time, but we had to put skin in the game. We couldn't just expect our partners to be the ones who delivered it. So we put skin in the game and we designed a product that would help with insurance, whether it was emergency evacuation and lounge, airport lounges and so forth as well, that gave them cardholders access. And we literally developed our marketing plan starting at the customer journey. What do they do when they're experiencing, when they're researching, with their understanding, and we actually outlaid a very targeted media strategy with relevant content at each stage of the customer journey, from research, to booking, to traveling, to coming home. And we used a number of different platforms with a very small budget. This didn't require big budgets. This just required data, understanding where your customer went and making sure you were there and you were there with relevant content at the right time. And it worked. It really did work. What I love about this is you mentioned earlier that your brand is demonstrated and represented through every touch point and every interaction that you have with the brand. And I, yep. the, the reason why I love this example so much is you essentially identified what customers want. So rather than spreading your message thin everywhere, you could be very pinpointed. Yeah. In this particular case, of course, this doesn't apply to every company, but for MasterCard and their business and their business model, this was really, really clever. Only one place, so you can focus all your budget there. And rather than just doing advertising there, you could have just bought the airport billboards and be done with it, right? But focused on the product, making sure the product has the right features so mm -hmm. customers get something tangible. You focused on the partnership yep. so that you can extend your reach and extend your arms way beyond MasterCard's own organization and then putting the experiences and marketing yep. presence on the ground to support all of this. Yep. So I think it's a, a very valuable learning there for all of our listeners, which is don't think of marketing just as the ads that, you, that go out. No. It's everything around the commercial proposition that customers might want and how that comes to life. And I thought yep. that was always such a fantastic idea. Yeah. And 
you know, I think the thing is as well, it's you can be crayons or calculators. And I always used to say to the team, we can be both, right? And creativity is not always the crayons, but creativity comes in how you demonstrate it and how you can actually articulate it to surprise and delight your customers. So for me, the creativity was in how we executed. I like this metaphor, crayons and calculators. What are some of the ways for developing that creative muscle? And I'm asking this from the perspective of uh, more technical founders or even CEOs of smaller companies and uh, growing startups, where they have so many fires to fight every single day, and they probably yeah. look at marketing from a problem-solving lens rather than coming up with creative ideas to improve our business lens. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you can develop that creative muscle? It's a great question because as a marketer, it's looking out for the blind spots and it's what you don't see in the room. It's what you don't see in the research that's the most important thing. And I think that's where you can start to really look at, and let's be honest, right? You're not listening to this podcast if you haven't come up with an amazing idea to start with, right? You're sitting here because you've already done the biggest part of your creativity has already happened. You've got somewhere, you've started with something. So how do you keep building on that? And I think it's constantly keep looking for everything that's outside your swim lane. And by that, I mean, if you're going to be, and I'll use the recruitment industry where we're at today, changing lives. I mean, that's a proposition that a number of our competitors have. We need to demonstrate what that means. And a lot of our competitors are talking about it in the sense of the technology and the ability to apply for a job. We're talking about it in the sense of well, what happens after you get that job? What were you enabled to do? What was that human, trans well, I'm going to say we're moving away from the transactional side of it, but what was that human moment that we were enabled? Does it mean that that new CEO was able to buy a house that enabled his parents to come and stay with him? Does it mean that somebody got on the board and they were then able to fund their children to go through university? What is it that changed that person's life that they weren't able to do by getting that job? And it's those stories that I think really enable me to think there's something in that. And it's by listening to your customers, listening to their stories, that you see the next evolution. Having those conversations with them. CRM is now so much more important than it was pre-COVID with 75% of companies looking at their own ex existing customer base to drive revenue moving forward. So if you listen to them, they will give you a lot of the insights that potentially you already know, but they'll also give you the blind spots. I love this concept of blind spots. I really do. It's what's not in the research, what's not in your current swim lane and finding out what to do from there. Honor and I have spoken about this in multiple of our episodes, actually, with different guests. And really, one of the most undervalued properties yep. is just picking up the phone, metaphorically speaking, yep. but actually talking to your customers. How many marketers miss that beat even today in big and small companies? Just ask your customers what they care about, yep. what's missing from the product, what would they want to see? And the, the richest insights will come from there. Absolutely. And and it's really important. You know, it, I, I guess the big thing is, is that everybody's so focused on what they're doing in the next six to 12 months out. It's let's get the marketing plan, the budgets are committed, then you go into the next year's planning. And as you start to get into a, a cadence, that becomes just a groundhog day. And it really is about taking yourself out of your current environment for five days a year, five minutes a day 
take yourself out of that normal coffee shop that you go to and actually go to one across the other side of town. Go into where people are potentially using your product and just sit there and watch them if it's a physical product. Step out of your product and follow somebody in your family using the product. Look at how they're interacting with it. I ran a webinar on Friday and I invited my husband who was in the next room to, to sign up for it. And it was the first time that we had used a new platform. I watched him so that I knew exactly how he was interacting with it. And I said to him, I want you to complete these questions. I'm observing how you interact with it. And I gave him a heads up. I said, look, I just want to watch because you're a customer right now. You're this, one of the CEOs that we're, into, that we're actually running this webinar for. And so his feedback, just me observing and then his overly critical feedback was <laughs> because I shouldn't say overly critical, overly honest feedback is something that I would ignore because he was my husband, but I put him in the situation of being a customer and it had a different lens. I turned what would have been a biased opinion into one that was actually very relevant. Yeah, and I, I think what, what's really important in these types of things, if you're observing people using your product or observing uh, or even asking and just talking to people is, is you listen yeah. to all the voices and then you have to have the critical thinking to say, what is just someone's emotional exactly. reaction? And what are the relevant voices out there that you can listen to? Every customer is going to have a different journey and a, a different opinion, and it, whether it's emotional, like you said, and it's going to be triggered from something. But if you can absolutely stay true to the fact that your customer is the only person you should listen to, and then you make that decision, you cannot go wrong because your customers are the ones that are feeding your bottom line and your top line. And the money will come. Don't ever think that if you stop and have to worry about anything else, you'll lose sight of it. Don't. Just constantly focus on delivering what your customer needs and the money will come. I think most companies in the early days inherently know the importance of putting customer at the center of everything that they do. But as they grow bigger, as they grow slower, I think what happens is first, they get very comfortable. This is where technology can be a deterrent, actually. Sometimes looking at data and numbers gives you the illusion that you really understand what's going on, but it doesn't really give you the insight right. that comes yeah. from picking up the phone. So yep. it sometimes feels a lot easier to look at a dashboard than to actually talk to people. The second you can hide. Yeah, exactly. And the second problem is sometimes people might actually be afraid like your overly critical or honest husband has done yeah. <laughs> might be afraid to hear the honest truths about their products because that would show maybe cracks in their marketing approach or in their product itself so yeah yeah but wouldn't you want to know that this is where i think people need to be brave and really step up and know that you've got an idea, you've got this far, you've got customers today, wouldn't you want to know how you can make it better? And somebody told me something early on in my career and it stuck with me through both, I, I will be honest, both personal as well as professional challenges that have come my way. And they turned around and they said to me, if you couldn't fail, what would you do? That's a very good way of looking at it. That's amazing. And it stuck with me. And I literally, it's a mantra that I will sit there in so many different situations. Takes the fear out of the equation. It does, right? Yeah. And it makes you think very logically and think, do I really want to do this or is it the right thing or is it completely the wrong thing? But if you can't fail, what would you do? That's amazing. I'll take a little stab at summarizing some of these points. I think 
what I really took away from this is the three steps you spoke about, Debbie, early on. Mm. Number one, know who you are. Know who yeah. you are as a business, as a company, right? Number two, know what your customers want and need. Mm. And that obviously has come really clear in our conversation that that has to remain the North Star throughout mm. the, the life cycle of your marketing and, and your business. And then execute faster than anyone. So go to market. Yep. Um, don't be afraid to fail. Just try things out and be brave about it. And when you really truly know who you are as a business and as a brand, everything you do needs to build to that. So stay mm -hmm. true to it. Don't deviate from it. Really execute to that through every touch point and every interaction mm -hmm. that you ever have with your customers throughout your company, whether it's the app, whether it's the website, and whether it's somebody picking up the phone and calling your customer service, mm -hmm. you have to stay true to that brand and who you are. And the other thing, a couple of cool analogies here, the crayons and calculators analogy, right? So you need both to be successful. Um, and also both of those are, are additive to each other, right? Um, and how do you get good creative ideas? Look for the blind spots. So what do you not see? What's not in the research? Constantly keep looking at things that are outside of your swim lane. And still coming back to this simple notion, what's the best way to find your blind spots? Listen to your customers, listen to their stories, talk to them. They'll give you all the insights you need on what the blind spots mm -hmm. are that you might not be looking at. And constantly focus on delivering what your customers want and the money will come. And I'll kind of leave with the thought of um, your wisdom that you got early on in your career. If you couldn't fail, what would you do? It's a great question to start asking if you ever find yourself in a situation where you might need to be braver than you perhaps in that moment are. I mean, that's perfect. That, I mean, that summarizes it. And, you know, Thomas, going back to what we spoke about earlier is you don't need to be a dog that barks at every car. You know, yes. every opportunity, there is so many, even day to day, I speak to my team across the region and I did this at MasterCard. There are so many opportunistic moments that will step in front of you and you just don't need to be a dog and bark at every one of them. You know, you can take time to sit back and go, you know what, we'll let that ride. This is where we're going to focus and, and be brave to let that one go. And then the other thing is as well, and this will happen as you go through and you're passionate and you believe as you grow, is that, and I used to do this when I was at MasterCard, is first they ignore you, then they fight you, and then they fear you. And it was something that every time I tried something new and number of times management would go, you're joking. No. <laughs> or I'd try and sell it to the regional, you know, the APAC regional, the global team, and they'd be like, no. And then they'd fight me because I'd keep going and I knew that I was onto something. And they'd fight back and they would say, you can't do that. And I'd be like, watch me. And I did it in the spirit of the company. So don't get me wrong. I wasn't going rogue. And then they feared me because we did it and we achieved it and we rolled things out. We won awards. We got, you know, industry accolades. And it really became a force for the business. You know, what we did, you know, what we did across the region, I'm really proud of. And when your customers actually tell you that, then you know you've won. Absolutely. So when you have an idea that you really believe in, you've got to fight for it to keep it alive. This is actually one of the most true things yeah. about creativity. Yeah, A lot of great creative ideas don't see the light of day because you didn't have enough people fighting for those ideas because a lot of the craziest ideas are exactly that. They are yep. crazy ideas and yep. they sound crazy and they sound like no way. But only if you say yes to some yeah. of them, you will find out. Exactly. Don't be normal. That area is already cluttered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, well, you need to be in another room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
Well, I think we're going to run out of room from our show notes from all the amazing analogies that you provided us. Sorry, Thomas. They get me through my day. <laughs> yeah, no, there's some really good ones in here. We'll, we'll share a lot of them in the show notes um, today. No, it's been fun. Thank you. No, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for all the listeners today as well. Hopefully some of these stories and some of these ideas will help you grow your businesses as well. Thank you for listening and have an awesome day. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. We'd love to get any feedback, questions, or topic suggestions you may have. Drop us a line at hello at strategyandsourdough.com. 